Capaneus on the ground, lying there cursing God, cursing Jove. Is that God? Well, if that wasn't strange enough, this canto, 14 of Inferno, is about to get a little stranger, but not in this episode. We're going to have a transitional passage that is going to lead us out into even stranger bits of Canto 14. If you don't know where we are, and if you don't know what we are, and if you don't know who I am, well, I'm Mark Scarborough. This is the podcast, Walking with Dante, walking, slow walking, through Dante's masterwork comedy. We're in Inferno, Canto 14. We're in the third rung of the seventh circle of hell, we are amongst the violent. We have passed through those violent against others and others' property. We've passed through those violent against themselves, that is the suicides, and those violent against their own property, that is the economic suicides. And now we have come amongst those who tried to be violent against God, although that is impossible. We saw Capaneus, this mythic figure from Stasius's poem, The Thebiad, stretched out on the sands, and we've heard him curse, we've heard Virgil rebuke him, we've heard Virgil turn back to our pilgrim, and now a small, mm, transitional passage. Here we are, lines 76 through 93. We went along in silence until we got to a spot where a little stream burbles out of the wood. The deep red of that flow still makes me judder inside. Such a stream flows from Bulacame, so that the sinning women share it amongst themselves. In just such a way, this one ran down the terrain. Its bottom and both its sloping banks were made of stone, as was its leeway, so that it dawned on me that our pathway lay there. Among all the things I've shown you, ever since we came on in through the gate that doesn't deny its doorstep to anyone, nothing will seem as astounding to your eyes as this river in front of you, which puts out all the flames from above it. These were the words of my guide, and because of them, I asked him to grant me the meal for which he had raised the desire inside me. And that is our stop because the meal is up next. But I just want to look at this transitional passage. It's actually pretty easy. It's a fairly straightforward passage. There's a one bit of it that has caused a great deal of commentary that I don't think has satisfactorily explained it. But otherwise... This passage will give us a chance just to see Dante's developing narrative technique. Let's just start it from the top and watch how Dante does what he does. We went along, that is, Dante our Pilgrim and his guide Virgil, in silence. Are they stopped from talking because of Capaneus or because of the firefall? That's the actual last thing Virgil has said. Don't step out on the sand, you're going to get burned. Maybe that's why they're in science. Maybe our pilgrim is picking his way along. There's no way to know. Speculation here. But they go along in silence until we got to a spot where a little stream burbles out of the wood. That red deep of that flow still makes me judder inside, still makes me shudder, still makes me uh, agitated inside in some way. Notice here, and this is what I want to stop on, notice the pilgrim's emotional space which is often included in the naturalistic detail. So here they are walking along the edge of this burning sand with the snowfall of fire. They come to a spot where this little stream burbles out. The red flow of that stream 
makes the pilgrim have an emotional response. That bit, that his emotional response is included in the naturalistic detail, is why people say Dante the poet is modern. It is that need for us to see the emotional space of the main character as well as the details of the landscape. It's not enough to just offer details. And there are plenty of medieval texts that offer a great many details without necessarily delving into the emotional space of the person talking. This is an interesting fusion of Augustinian emotional space from the confessions tied to a growing sense of a pictorial representation of the world. That's how you write today. If you were to write a piece about a stream coming out of a wood in a novel that you were writing, we'd want to see the stream. I'd want you to put details in there, if I were your writing teacher or your writing mentor, about what that stream looks like. What color is it? Are there rocks? Is it sandy? You know, etc. We'd want to see it but we'd also want to know what that stream makes you feel like. You might, in fact, just do like this and say, the stream makes me feel X, or you might encode your emotional landscape into the details. For example, the rocks on the stream may be jagged, or the stream itself may be murky. And in those cases, you're actually taking your emotions and you're setting them down into this landscape that you're imagining. Here, it's a little less sophisticated than that. We're getting there with Dante. We're seeing it in places already where the emotional landscape is pressed exactly into the details, but that, the details, always must include the pilgrim's emotional landscape. Ah, that's Dante's, for lack of a better word, modernism. Let's move on in the passage. Such a stream flows from Bulacame, so that the sinning women shared among themselves. In just such a way, this one ran down the terrain. This is a long-standing, established bit in the commentary. Basically, Bulacame means boiling thing or the thing that boils. And so this is actually a sulfurous spring near Viterbo in modern day Italy. It's a spring and a sulfurous hot spring at that that Dante knows. So sulfurous, it has a little bit of hell overtones about it. And he says, you know, this is like that stream from that spring, that sulfurous spring near Viterbo, so that the sinning women share it amongst themselves. The early commentators are almost unanimous on this. What this refers to are prostitutes, whores, who live around this spring, and they divert the water to their homes where they carry on their trade because the prostitutes are not allowed in the public baths. And therefore, this water at least in terms of its, what, its mythical, symbolic landscape, is polluted water because it's used by prostitutes. I will admit that if I didn't have the commentary sitting here and it said, so that the sinning women share it amongst themselves and this stream flows from Bulacame, I would have no idea what this was talking about. Interesting that the commentary has said it and said it in a certain way. Remember, whenever we encounter Dante's text, we encounter 700 years of commentary. So sometimes things get said into the commentary that are just there, and there's no real other way to see it. I don't have any 
answers to this. I don't have any alternate readings to this. I just find it interesting that as, of course, a modern skeptic, I always stand back even from the commentary and say, hmm, I wonder, seems all right here. The next passage, not so much. In just such a way, this one ran down the terrain. So there's this an ocean of polluting, of a stream that's used by prostitutes. Notice this naturalistic detail. Its bottom and both its sloping banks were made of stone, as was its leeway, so that it dawned on me. Ah, see, there's that emotional landscape again. So that it dawned on me that our path lay there. He's figured it out, our pilgrim, that they're going to have to walk down this stone leeway and embankments on either side of this red stream flowing down. Then we get the problem in the passage when Virgil speaks up. Among all the things I've shown you, Virgil says, ever since we came on in through that gate that doesn't deny its doorstep to anyone, nothing will seem as astounding to your eyes as this river in front of you, which puts out all the flames from above. There is so much commentary on those six lines. It's almost hard to believe. Let me explain to you the problem, and then let me explain to you the ways out of the problem. Here's the problem. Why is Virgil so insistent about this river? Of all the things I've shown you ever since we came in through the gate, you know, the abandoned all hope gate that doesn't deny its doorstep to anyone, anybody can get into hell that wants in there. Nothing will seem as astounding to your eyes as this river in front of you. Nothing? Not people rolling boulders around? Not sticks? Not the potentiality of Medusa? Not the harpies sitting in metamorphosis? Morphosized trees, nothing will be as astounding as this river. Why is Virgil so weird about this? Here's some of the answers that have been given in the commentary. One is that Virgil is essentially setting up what's about to happen. Remember, I told you this passage is going to get even weirder in the next lines in the next episode of this podcast. And so Virgil's kind of trying to set it up like, wow, okay, here comes some really wild stuff. And he's focusing on the river, but behind him, the poet is setting us up that this is an unbelievable thing we're about to hear. Maybe. I'm not sure I buy that because it seems that Dante the Poet is better than that. If Dante the Poet wanted to set us up for the weird stuff that's about to happen, Dante would write that more into the text instead of making Virgil do this weird, what is it, passive-aggressive diversionary technique of saying, look at this stream, this is the oddest thing yet. Or, and this is most of the modern answers, is it because of the miraculous properties of this stream? And here's what I mean. Somehow you'll discover that as they walk down the rocky leeway and embankments of this stream, they are not touched by the snowfall of fire. There are so many explanations for this. It's unbelievable. The Hollander's explanation is probably the most common. That is that the fire falls, there's liquid here, it causes vapor to come up, you know, because the fire hits the liquid, it's red, but the liquid, and it causes vapors to come out, and that extinguishes further snowfall of fire. I have to tell you, that doesn't make sense to me because in order for vapors to come up, there would still have to be snowfall fire coming. In other words, it can't come once and it causes vapors to come 
up, and then somehow that puts it all out. Okay, it's going to put out the snowfall of fire right at that moment, maybe, if a vapor is that intense, if the evaporation off the stream is that intense, maybe. But then what? So that vapor is going to go away and you're going to need more. So some firefall of snow has to get through in order to make that vapor. It's a little weird how to explain this. And it's going to fall on passages ahead as they make their way down this embankment, down the sides of this stream, and are not affected by the fire falling from the not sky because they are in hell, but still falling from the air above them, it's going to be a little weird and it's never going to quite make sense. So I've never seen this in the commentary, but let me posit an answer since I'm so bold as to do it. Here's maybe why Virgil is so insistent on why this stream is the most amazing thing in all of hell seen so far. This pathway along the stream does not need to exist. There is no reason for its existence. There is no reason that this couldn't just be a stony downflow of this red liquid, this, well, you know where this is coming from. It's that blood that the violent against the others were standing in way up above in Canto 12 when we encountered them. Okay, so here it is coming down. There's no reason that there needs to be a pathway down. There's no reason for a pathway unless a pilgrim is going to pass this way. Even if Virgil passed this way as a shade, he could get across the sands. And as we'll discover, if you run fast enough, you can kind of escape the snowfall of fire. So Virgil could get across this. There's only a problem with a guy in a physical body. Is this why it's so astounding? Because if that's the case, then there has been a pathway created here for our pilgrim. In other words, we are being told that this journey is divinely ordained. If a pathway has been made so that our pilgrim Dante can get down there, then it is astounding because somebody's been anticipating his arrival. Somebody. God has been anticipating his arrival all along and has left a trail through hell. It strikes me that that might, in fact, account for Virgil's insistence on why this is the most astounding thing you've seen so far. Because if I were there and I found out that there were a pathway made so that I could pass through when there doesn't need to be any pathway through this. People are thrown over the edge by Minos. They land in the circle that they're supposed to land in. There's no call for a walkway in any way, which means, again, something has been ordained. And when we get down to the eighth circle, this may all play out because we're going to discover that there is an even more established pathway in the eighth circle of hell. And you have to ask yourself, pathway for whom? These were the words of my guide. And because of them, I asked him to grant me the meal for which he had raised the desire. There's that word again. The desire inside me. So Virgil's words here about this stream have instigated a desire. 
Interestingly, not, and this is against my interpretation of a divinely ordained pathway, not, as you will see, a meal about divinely ordered pathways, but instead a meal about the geography of hell. We're about to step off the cliff into some wild Dantean myth-making. So come back, subscribe to this podcast, like it, rate it. I'd really appreciate it. Come on back because we're in a little transitional passage here that helped us see some of Dante's poetic techniques. But we are moving out into some wild and woolly territory on the next episode. I'm Mark Scarborough. And this is Walking with Dante.